You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We're on this journey looking through the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke at a time of year when more of the character and concepts of those people that this story revolves around are more mainstream now than at any other time in the year. Of course, our focus, our main focus is on Jesus and his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. But today we want to fall back to what Luke talked about from the outset of his gospel, a different couple. That was Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you remember the story, the angel Gabriel appeared to this couple, which we are told are well advanced in years, too old to have a child, but Gabriel announced that Elizabeth will have a son, John. And then six months later, Mary gets visited by this same angel. She too is told that she will have a son, but by the miracle of the Holy Spirit, and his name will be Jesus. And Jesus and John are cousins, and they will eventually overlap in adult ministry as John is preparing the way for Jesus' coming. Today, we want to begin with the prophecy from his parents, John's parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, to show how John was to prepare people for the coming of the Lord Jesus and what effect it has on us. We're going to start by looking at what happens when God shows up. So this is from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Remember, she's elderly, but she's godly. Her husband, Zechariah, is basically the equivalent of a pastor. They live in a small rural town. She wanted to have a baby, but she was too old now. She had pretty much given up that hope, put it into God's hands, thinking it'll never happen. But you know what she didn't do? She didn't throw this back at God. She doesn't rebel against God. She doesn't turn bitter towards God. Instead, she humbly just serves the Lord. And she waits. And God answers her prayer and allows her to have a baby. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. You know what's interesting in today's world? When something catastrophic happens, it's referred to as an act of God. As if God only gets credit for the things we really don't want to have happen. We don't like the, that's an act of God. Here, the townspeople rightly proclaim, when God does something good, he should be praised. Well, on the eighth day, They, that is Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents, came to circumcise the child, John. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. So that is, you know, the the people in charge. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. John means God is gracious. And it was the angel Gabriel that said you are to name him John. 
They said to her, well, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Zechariah asked for a writing tablet. Now, this is weird. Why did he want to write something down rather than just speak it? It's because when he first heard he was going to become a father, he really disbelieved God, that God would make this happen, that God could make this happen. And Gabriel said, no, this is going to happen. And because you didn't believe, you are going to be silent until he's born. Think about this. Elizabeth is doubly blessed. She's pregnant and she has a mute husband for nine months. <laughs> Zechariah asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Elizabeth's like, I told you so. <laughs> Immediately, his mouth was open. And his tongue sat free, and he began to speak, praising God. By the way, this is the reason God gave us a tongue. It's so that we would bless him, praise him, thank him, honor him. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. This was a big moment. God was showing up. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. The Lord has chosen to work in and through this child, John. Now, let me also say that all parenting is ultimately in partnership with the Lord. It is the parents vowing, we're going to love and raise this child, and we're going to pray and invite God to love and raise this child with us. And what I want you to see is that when God shows up, people are blessed. And what is happening here is the beginning, the unveiling of the kingdom of God. John's calling is to prepare people for the coming of the King, Jesus. So here's what we're to understand. When God shows up with the kingdom, all of God's people are blessed. We already saw the town's people are blessed. Zechariah and Elizabeth are blessed. John was blessed. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now, there's a recurring theme here. Just in this chapter 1 alone, what we have noted is that Zechariah, when he first was told that he would have a son, that that son, John, would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. Mary is told that she will be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. When Mary and Elizabeth greet one another, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And now here we're told that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. If you were to keep reading Luke's, you find that Jesus is filled with the Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, rejoiced in the Spirit. And if you read Luke's second book, Acts, you see how God's Spirit empowered the early church to be a witness for the growth of God's church. Here, the Holy Spirit has empowered Zechariah to proclaim God's praises and help his son John set out on a course to be all that he can fully be for God to use. So Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
begins to prophesy, and he begins this way, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. When you hear of horn and and David in this context, think of king and kingdom. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, he's saying, you know, God's been telling us for a long time that this was going to happen, that a king was coming, his name is Jesus, and he was going to be bringing with him a kingdom that will never end. So for centuries, they were longing. There was this anticipation, where is this king? Where is this kingdom? Well, Zechariah goes on to share more about this kingdom. This kingdom that is coming will bring salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, those who oppress us, attack us, seek to destroy us, to show mercy. This is from God. Now, God knows our faults and failures, and yet he still loves us. It's not to condemn us. He's there to help us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. This is the the language of relationship. This is saying we belong to him and should follow him. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, here Zechariah is saying this prophecy. Here's the king and the kingdom. And you, my son, John, here's your part that you're going to play. Every one of us needs to know the part that we're to play in the kingdom. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. As a parent, you may think, a prophet. Wow, cool. My child is going to be a spokesperson for God. But let me just say, this will be a painful honor. What happened to the prophets? (laughs) Were they loved or hated? Hated. Were they welcomed or rejected? Rejected. You see, the priests, they were in a different category. They were raised by the institutions to follow the rules, to go through the rituals. The prophets, they lived out in the margins. They didn't play by man-made rules because they don't care about man-made agendas. They basically walk out and say, I'm going to tell you what God said. And most people don't like that because what God was telling them to do was repent. You need a change of mind and you need a change of heart. You need a change of life. You need a change of who is Lord in your life. And as a result of rejecting all of that, they reject the prophets because they're the messenger. So to be a prophet means you're hated, despised, rejected, and ultimately don't live very long because they're going to put you to death. Think about being a parent, especially Zechariah and Elizabeth. We have waited so long to have a child. And a miracle happened. We get to have a son. 
and he's going to be a prophet. guess we don't have to worry about grandkids because he's not going to live long enough. But the primary responsibility of a parent is to raise their child, their children to love and serve the Lord, whatever his calling on their life might be. And Zechariah and Elizabeth accept that call to raise their son to be a prophet, knowing what may come his way. Zechariah's You can imagine holding John and saying, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. His dad knows that he's preparing the way for Jesus, who is God. Later, John himself will say, and this is really incredible, John will say about Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. There's so much humility in John. There's got to be humility in us. That whatever we do, whatever we build, whatever, whoever we are, we have to say, it all belongs to you, Lord Jesus. And here's what the king and kingdom mean. He's going to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun, which is a, a phrase for meaning Jesus, he will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness. Now that means spiritual darkness. And in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Let me address two things that we're hearing about here, prophecy and the kingdom. We read at the beginning of today that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So what is that? First, you need to know that God rules the future. You may say, yeah, I know God knows the future. No, it's more than that. He not only knows what's going to happen, he's going to make sure history goes the way he determines So number one, God rules over the future. And number two, there are occasions where he reveals the future so that we can plan for it and participate in it. That's prophecy. Question, does that mean that everything that happens is God's will? The answer is no. There are things that we do of our own choosing that are sinful and rebellious and are not part of God's will. But what it does mean is that God rules over all history and he's going to bring that history ultimately to fulfill his purposes. Let me give you a a simple analogy. Suppose that you're on a large ship, I mean like cruise ship size. So you're there among the passengers. But also on that ship, is the captain, and the captain determines where that boat goes. Now, on this boat, all the people will have lots of decisions to make about what they're going to say and what they're going to do and how they're going to behave, and they're responsible for all those decisions they make. They may even decide, hey, let's all get together and just overthrow the captain because we don't like where this ship is headed. But they don't. They can't. Because the captain maintains his position as leader at the helm. Human history is like that. Human history is like a ship carrying all of humanity. We're on the boat. 
We have decisions that we make. We have choices that we make. But ultimately, we are not the captain of the ship. Ultimately, God rules the future. And he will bring history into the direction that he determines it should go. That's what prophecy is all about. Prophecy is common in the Bible. About 25% of the Bible was prophetic in nature at the time it was written. It's God ruling the future and then revealing the future so that we can participate in it. So then Zechariah prophesies over his son, and the prophecy is what the son's role is, his participation in the kingdom of God. Now, this is massively important, that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is king. In eternity past, he ruled and reigned from a throne, worshipped by angels, and for a short season, he humbled himself and came to earth as Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the king came into the world, and that kingdom he brings with him, because all the kingdom is, is wherever the king rules over. And that means everything rises or falls with the direction of the leadership. So if leadership is broken in a nation, the people are not loved and cared for. If leadership is broken in the home, people are not loved and cared for. If leadership is broken in the church, people are not loved and cared for. If leadership is broken in a business, people are not loved and cared for. So you need to know two things. You need to have healthy leadership, healthy governance, and a loving leader. When there is healthy governance and a loving leader, it creates an environment where life can flourish. Part of our problem is that we don't have a full understanding of what that means. But that's not a problem in the kingdom. In the kingdom, we will have the Lord Jesus who will rule and reign. And it will be a perfect governance and a loving leader. And everyone will be blessed and everything will be better. Here's what we know about the kingdom of God from the Bible, but in particular from Zechariah in this passage today. Number one, the kingdom is without sin. Zechariah describes it this way. It'll be a place of holiness and righteousness and the forgiveness of sins. Can you imagine a world without sin? You'd be like, I don't have anything to repent of. I don't have to fix anything because I didn't do anything wrong yesterday, today, or yet to come. No condemnation, no shame, no guilt. Number two, he describes the kingdom as having no enemies. Think of the enemies that you have. And let me just put it into one category. Demonic enemies, those evil forces at work in the world seeking to destroy you, harm you, divide you, discourage you. Number three, Zechariah in his prophecy explains about the kingdom will be one without fear. Do you know how much fear grips your lives and determines your decision making? You know, what's going to come at me? How is this going to affect me? How am I going to get through this? There are financial fears, emotional fears, physical fears, relational fears, and it can lead to anxiety and being depressed. 
But imagine waking up every day forever and ever with no fear. That all that burden and anxiety are gone forever. That's the kingdom. And then number four, Zechariah says that the kingdom will be marked by no more death. No more sickness, no more disease. No hospitals, no surgeries, no emergencies, no chemo. Only life and health forever. As believers, I think we can kind of begin to understand that this world will end. And it ends when the king returns and the kingdom is realized in its full. In the meantime, there are moments when the king and his kingdom are unveiled and revealed in this world. And it gives us hope and a longing for an eternal citizenship. See, I need you to know that this world is not your home. You're passing through as you head home. So all of what we're talking about here in this meantime that we're living in is about living from kingdom values as much as we can. So it's like, God, what are you like? That's how I want to be. God, how do you treat people? Lord, help me to treat people that same way. Lord, what do you say are right and wrong? Okay, that's how I want to live. Great problems arise in the church when people come in and say, here's what I see in culture and politics and business, and I think the church needs to line up. We don't make the kingdom of God relevant by looking to culture and politics and business. We show the relevance of the kingdom to the culture, to politics and business. You see, our job is not to make the church like the world so people feel comfortable. We are to make the church so much like the kingdom that we all feel uncomfortable in a hopeful way. So when somebody new walks in, they'll say, wow, these people love each other. They forgive each other. They care for one another. These people have a sense of identity that is unshakable. They have something that I can't even begin to understand. And I want it. That's because Jesus is our king, and we pray thy kingdom come. That is what the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be and supposed to be. There will be a day when the church is no more, and the kingdom is all that remains. So the kingdom has to be the priority of the church. What we've seen here from today's text is that Zechariah is prophesying over his son and the part that that son is going to play in the coming king as he's preparing the way. And you need to understand, if you're a Christian, our ministry is the same as John's. We are to prepare people for the coming of the king and the unveiling of the kingdom. John's life ministry is the same as our life ministry. Now let me transition to a question. Who would you say is the greatest person who's ever lived in the history of the world? Who would you pick? Who, who is it that would don the cover of Time Magazine? Not just as person of the year, but as person of like all time. Well, apart from Jesus, here's who Jesus votes for. 
This is a little later in Luke. This is Jesus speaking when he says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. He's saying of all the people who've walked this earth, except for me, the greatest person who's ever lived is my cousin, John. And here's what we know about John's life. The hand of the Lord was on him from birth. He was raised by his parents. And then he's out in the wilderness. We don't know much in between his birth and the time at about age 30, he appears in public to preach. How long do you think his public ministry lasted? Six months. But he did everything he was assigned and appointed to do. And he would exclaim, repent, repent. And religious people would pick a fight with him because they're just there to argue. But his job is to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah, who is Jesus. His whole job was to set Jesus up for a win. Your whole job, my whole job, is to set Jesus up for a win. So how many of you would like to know how to be great? Let's be great in the sight of God. Let's be great in the eyes of the kingdom, not in the culture. Because in the culture, you're great if you're famous or powerful or rich or beautiful. And there's no indication that John is any of those things. So how did John become great? Well, two things. First, he had spirit-filled parents. Now, you can grow up to love and serve the Lord if you don't have godly parents. But it's sure a whole lot easier to love and serve the Lord if you have godly parents who are directing you. And then that leads us to the last verse in this section. And the child, that is John, grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So the second way that John becomes great is that he himself grew in relation to the Holy Spirit. It was about understanding the presence of God in his life, obeying God, learning the scriptures. You know, the same is true for us. It's about understanding the presence of God in your life, obeying him, and learning the scriptures so you know how to put them into practice. All of this is about living under the lordship of our king and beginning to reflect and resemble our king and his kingdom lifestyle. We talked recently about being life-giving people and this being a life-giving place. There's no way to do that. There's no way to be that apart from the life-giving Holy Spirit. My hope and prayer is that all of us would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you would pray for it, that you would ask God to fill you like Zechariah was, like Elizabeth was, like John was, like certainly Jesus was, that we would experience the kingdom of God in our life and then we would find the presence of the Holy Spirit to be one that is life-giving and healing and joy-filled and hopeful. And then as other people would encounter us, 
They'd sense something of the work of the spirit and the presence of the kingdom and they'd be drawn to a place of health and love and life. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.